Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And uh, welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, If you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a podcast wherein Kyle and I take turns introducing each other to films. Uh, And in this way, we help each other to catch up on our cinema. Uh, in this case, though... That is not happening. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is not an accurate description of what's going to happen today. No. Um, today, uh, we're going to be doing something that we like to call a master class. Um, the very first episode of Catching Up on Cinema, in fact, was a master class episode. And what that is, is basically we take a protracted look at a franchise, a film series, and just kind of run through the whole thing front to back. And I'm rambling now, so we should probably get to it. <laughs> so we started, la- our very first uh, segment was about the Predator movies. And there's about two, or one good movie out of that franchise. Yeah, yeah. and yet we keep thinking about it and obsessing about it. Yeah. It's a it's an extraordinary phenomenon that you can have exactly one legitimate work of quality in a multi-decade long franchise, and yet... We can talk about it for three hours and still have more to say. <laughs> yeah. This time we're actually taking a franchise that has, I mean, three iconic directors behind it. I can't, I forget about the French guy who did the fourth one. He's a good director as well. Yeah. Uh, was that the City of Lost Children guy? Uh, one of them, yes. That was a duel. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he one. can only take half. Derek Tesson, yeah, he did that one as okay. well. Uh, um, Jean-Pierre Junet, I think. I think that's right. I want to say Luc Besson, but that's uh, no, no, that's, no, no, uh, no, Fifth no, Element. No, he don't fuck. He don't fuck with aliens. No, no, no. <laughs> he, does, he does not. Not with these aliens. Different aliens. No, he fucks with all the wrong aliens. Um. <laughs> I'm Corbin Dallas. Um, yeah, this is the. Uh, we're gonna be kind of talking about the alien movies. I'm not sure how far we'll get today. I'm sure this is gonna be broken up in a few segments. I'm not sure if we're gonna get all the way to. Uh... Yeah, we'll we'll do what we can. Uh, you, the listener, probably won't know either way. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Kyle. First question, I guess, is how do we start this? Because we can approach the films in order of release, or we can approach them in the in the series canon order. Um, I feel like we're we're gonna do a little bit of both. Um, we're gonna be talk. I think we'll probably start it from uh, from the very beginning, the Ridley Scott Alien, okay. nineteen seventy nine. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. let's keep it simple and just yeah. go through in order of release. Now, I'm not positive. Uh, Prometheus may pop up, which is the prequel to or the one of the prequels to uh, the Alien movie. Yeah, it's like a it's like a side cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, it it is a prequel. It does have attachments to the Alien franchise. And they're they're like solidified entirely by the time you get to Covenant. Yeah. Um, but the the attachment is flimsy, but it it's definitely intended to be part of the series. So I I think we we are obligated to include it. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and put this on record. Uh, I was just I was talking to a girl I work with, and she has not seen the Lord of the Rings movies. She has not seen the Hobbit movies, and I was shocked to find out. Uh, she's never seen uh, she's never seen Star Wars. She's never seen the original trilogy. Does uh, she have any interest in film whatsoever? She does, and that's what's shocking. It's just that she missed the boat on Star Wars. I, yes, she did. Yeah. How I, old is this person? She's a few. She's 25, 26. Yeah, so she that, missed the boat. I was, that's what I told her. To. <laughs> I, and I, I was like, I, she, I was talking to her about. It, I'm like, honestly, at this point, at this stage, I'm like, I would recommend watching the Lord of the Rings because you're not even going to be able to get into Star Wars. But she's also a really big sci-fi and horror person, okay. and I didn't get a chance to ask her if she's seen these, but I, I was thinking, I'm like, oh, I would have her. I'd say that the first three of these movies were, would be worth watching. Uh, absolutely. No, I mean, if you have any interest in either of those genres, you absolutely should have seen. I, I have a feeling that she's she watches movies that are above us. 
Uh, <laughs> she's seen Hereditary five times. Yeah, so she's, she she's a high bro. She's she's getting. I don't know. I've thrown her some. I've thrown her some Criterion and some artsy films. She's like, oh no. Has she seen, seen Chud? Uh, <laughs> Has she seen Tremors? I, Has she seen Under Siege? Yeah, she needs a, she needs a crash course in garbage. Well, what she needs is a fucking grocery store video market. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what she needs. She needs a rental system yeah. where you have to go out into the cold and get whatever they got. Side note. That sounds like a fun month of uh, uh, video store cover cover choices. Movies that we saw oh. the covers of that we never watched. We're doing that. I like that. We're idea. doing that. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll do a good mix where it's like, uh, I need you to see this because this because I did see this yeah. because of the cover, whether it's good or not. I have a bunch just from the. 90s. I I know one right off the top of my head. Um, the Deadly Spawn. The Deadly Spawn. I've seen it. It's not great, but it has the most bitching fucking cover you've ever seen. I believe you. <laughs> uh, I need to see one of the Jason movies, the one with the... I think it's Jason Goes to Hell. The, the oh, cover. The Worm. The Worm. <laughs> yeah, the the Worm is a... It's eye-catching, and yeah. it has, you know, the flaming background and stuff, and you growing up in a religious environment, I'm sure that was like, I need this. I need this. I never <laughs> this got speaks it. to me. <laughs> So yeah, I don't think we're really gonna be like our, our normal format. Uh, we usually go through the uh, the narrative pretty linear, like what what comes next, what logically follows. Um, this is gonna be a bit more of an open discussion because it's we're we're gonna be able to pick and choose a bit more because we're really familiar with these movies. Yeah, just kind of treat this as a as just a Chris Farley show. Yeah, very much so. We're we're going to be doing a lot of gushing. Yeah. I mean, I oh that's I, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like hey, you remember that? That was awesome. Yeah. No, I, I love at least half of these movies, mm-hmm. and then some of them I'm largely indifferent to, but because they rub shoulders with those ones that I, lo- I love, I know them frontwards and backwards. Even even if I don't really care about them, I still know them. I mean, can you name a sci... I mean, I would consider this, uh, what would you say, sci-fi horror? Where we, we kind of give it a slash, because I don't know if I quite call it horror because it happens in space for the most part. Yeah, I, th- I think it has to be sci-fi horror because the... Part of the charm of the franchise is that they actually have legitimately tried to do slightly different things with it from time to time. Um, it's kind of like the Mission Impossible series, where, like, if you if you look at those movies stylistically, it wasn't until about the fourth one that they became more homogenized. Mm-hmm. Where it's like from the fourth one out, it's like Tom Cruise has creative control. We're doing this thing. Yeah. Whereas the ones before that, it's like you have the Brian De Palma one that it's like a spy thriller mm-hmm. it's not an action movie then you have the second one that's just john woo with too much money doing all the wrong things with I, that money i've heard that. <laughs> oh yeah and, and it's the year 2000 in bottle form Eesh. and then the third one was jj uh, abrams brought it back. Ri- writing the ship like he always does so the alien movies it's like you know you get the the classic that gets things rolling you get it turns into an action movie, yeah, and then it turns into I don't even know what the fuck, and then it becomes French. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, is there a franchise in the horror or slash? In I'm we'll just for this argument, we'll lean more towards horror. Is there a franchise that has this many successful films, like actually actual films that you can go back and enjoy? Like I, this? I don't know. Uh, probably not. Not 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 like grand blockbuster films. That's what's really interesting when we get to like Alien Covenant in particular, mm-hmm. where it's it was a blockbuster movie. This was packaged and presented to audiences in a way where it's like you gotta fucking go see this. People it's like die as fuck in that movie. Yeah, it's a it's a grisly, violent horror movie. Yeah, but with all the money in the world backing it, and you know a 
absolutely critically acclaimed director in, yeah. the, in the in control of it. It's it's a strange marketing beast where yeah. it's like this is not some. It's like Batman Returns. Yeah, like Batman Returns is like awesome. I don't even I don't even know what the fuck this is, but I love it. I love it. But I mean, this is the same movie that you know the Happy Meal toys had to get yanked off the shelves <laughs> and stuff because it was scaring people. It's scaring people. <laughs> but it was presented as like you got to go see this, even though maybe five percent of the people who went to go see it actually loved it. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about first? You want to talk about uh, talk about casting, talk about the characters a little bit. Yeah, let's get to it. I mean, there's so few characters in the first Alien film. Uh, just to set things up properly, it uh, came out in, what, 1979, mm-hmm. 20th Century Fox, uh, which is now Disney, <laughs> just in case you just so you, yeah, just you in case know. you forgot that, um, directed by Ridley Scott, and uh, as far as I know, it had a fairly modest budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made quite a bit of money, though, and just endlessly, like, mimicked and paid tribute to throughout the years it's a it's a titan in the sci-fi horror genre so you've watched so you and i i think both own the same four uh, four pack blu-ray of this yeah okay um i haven't gotten to the uh the special features on each in each one i've watched a little bit of the first one it was very confusing when i I put it in because the special features aren't by um they're not by film they're by uh the, the separate features are it's it's separated differently from what I could tell. Um, as far as I recall, uh, a lot of the features are deeply embedded in the menus. Um, and it's it's one of those uh, series that they decide to do like animated menus for. So you do a little bit of waiting and a little bit of hunting and pecking to find what you're looking for. Yeah. Thankfully, they didn't do like the Easter egg thing where they literally hide the oh, features from you. Like one of my favorite DVDs I own is a bootleg that has a special features uh, hidden on top of Godzilla's eyeball. <laughs> But there's no indication that that's a button. Like, so you just have to you just have to be futzing around with the remote and then stumble across that. Somebody's ear perked up when you said bootleg. Like no 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 don't say that. And then you followed it with Godzilla and like no nah, it's fine. <laughs> it's like nobody <laughs> nobody cares about that. You have all the Godzilla bootlegs before 2014 that you want. But yeah, uh, the characters. I mean, what's interesting is that Ellen Ripley, the most iconic character in the whole franchise she's she's not the ship's captain she's no. she i don't even know what her role in the she, ship is she's like his second or something she's she's high up there i think she might be second or she's i'm gonna say she's co i'm gonna say she's the co-captain i'm gonna say co-captain executive okay. officer somewhere along those ranks because we don't we know that oh i'm sorry i think john hurt is a little higher than her and that's where that's where she comes in because she takes charge um she's a well-written female character by the way that she's probably one of the best female leads written well a lot of a lot of that what's funny is like i think it's probably more credit to the performance than the writing Mm because because so many of these performances feel like they were just people kind of feeling their way around with with what they had and what their what their tendencies were because like the casting this film is really incredible because you because you have a lot of really talented character actors that you should know every single person harry dean stanton's face like his wrinkles tell way more story than any words can Mm -hmm. like his expressions like his hangdog look like you you know who he is just by like when he shows up in uh, on fire fire down below the steven seagal movie i haven't seen that it takes place in like appalachia (laughs) (laughs) as soon as you see him you're like yep (laughs) even it even in the first avengers movie he shows up and you're like yep he's in the first avengers movie yeah I remember him as Toot from uh, well, one of the early things I remember him is Toot from uh, the Green Mile. 
Oh. The one who cracks the joke when they're acting like they're going to electrocute somebody and it pisses off Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, he's he is in the first Avengers movie. He gives a Mark Ruffalo pep talk right before the big battle at the end. But what, the point I'm trying to make here is that you have a whole bunch of people with a shit ton of character on their faces where they don't have to say much. Just the way they behave, and especially most important, I think, and the, the thing that I praise Ridley Scott for the most in his entire filmography, the sets and the design. Mm-hmm. Um, the attention to detail put into the lighting and the set design yes, is, it, is largely what makes the experience because the, the joke's always been made that this is essentially a space trucker movie. Yeah. These characters, what's interesting about this this point in time in the, in the series, in, in the world that it takes place in with this Wayland yutani Corporation, is that space travel is boring at this point. Yeah. It's a thing you do to it's get just, from point A to point B. Yeah. So for these folks, it's old hat. So when they first come out of hypersleep, which is a fantastic sequence, uh-huh. everybody's just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, we got Back some, lo- we got some loose valves and shit. Okay, let's go tighten it. You know, it's like it's like very blue collar, but in space. Who is the African American gentleman? He's a Yafet Koto. Yafet Koto. I can never remember his name. I, every time I hear it, I'm like, I should remember that. Uh, Tom Skerritt, John Hurt. John Hurt just exasperated and just not really feeling it as usual. Uh, <laughs> oh man, he just wants a smoke. From, uh, from beginning to end. <laughs> like, uh, I can't remember who the other lady... I, you've seen her in a bunch of stuff. I can't think of what her name is off the top of my head. Um, she's I, I've noticed her... She was in more stuff as she got older and like kind of in comedy stuff. She was in one of the scary movie movies. So yes, the actress's name is Nancy Cartwright. Uh, you've seen her in stuff. Veronica Cartwright. <laughs> Nancy. Nancy, it's Veronica. <laughs> and Ian Holm. Yeah, Ian Holm, uh, who is probably the... I think he gets the most wiggle room in terms of like getting to act. Like yeah. he gets to do some fun stuff with his role. Uh, Tom Skerritt, I really liked in this. Um, mm. My dad always had a thing for Tom Skerritt. I don't know why. He always he always stood out to me as that kind of actor where it's like if my dad perks up because he's in a movie, that means I should probably pay attention or something. Yeah, Kevin Costner's that for my dad, I think, or oh. or dads in general. He doesn't. Really no, do it my for me. dad doesn't have the time of day for Kevin yeah, Costner. He, as well, he shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm gonna disagree with you on uh, about Sigourney Weaver. Um, I think that if you think about what happens in the movie and what her character has to do. She has to assert herself, and honestly, I think that Sigourney Weaver could have even asserted herself more in her performance, Mm -hmm. and she's actually very, she doesn't get emotional about it. She's very matter-of-fact, like, listen, this cannot happen. I cannot have this back on the ship. Yeah, she's more pragmatic than Tom Skerritt is, Mm -hmm. and he's supposed to be the one in charge. Uh, She's the one who, you know, is doesn't want that fucking thing on her ship yeah <laughs> she's like he's contaminated we have a protocol and she doesn't let them on the ship yeah. to be fair she absolutely doesn't uh she gets uh what ian holmed ian Holm, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah the malfunctioned uh droid oh, yeah spoiler <laughs> he, he kind of goes behind your back and that's that's how yeah. mo- that's how the movie happens yeah. but i see what you're saying um I think, like, if I remember right, from minute one, um, after they after the great wake-up sequence, mm-hmm. um, I really love how they take their time with that. How yeah. they show how hypersleep works, how you get up and you are a wreck. Yeah, both Alien Covenant and Prometheus... Uh, well, I'm sorry, Alien Covenant, they wake up like that, and it's just... I it, don't like that. Yeah, it goes like, immediately. I, I get it. I mean, it. we've come a long way, and the pace of movies are not what they used to be, at least, like big budget movies anyway like i said covenant was mass marketed like this was intended to be a movie that was going to make a lot of money and be seen by a lot of people around the world 
Uh, the first Alien, though, is kind of low budget. Um, but yeah, I really love how they took their time with that scene. How everybody kind of like lazily gets out of bed, yeah. and we get a lot of crossfades from a stationary angle, and it's this really sterile looking room, and mm-hmm. it looks looks like there should be an Atari in the corner or something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like I just remember John Hurt like slumped over, just like head between his knees. He's doing the the bron- the, the brachiosaurus thing where it's like head between your knees head between your knees he does that well though that was really smart starting with him because he always kind of his his eyes are always just droopy like i said he looks like he needs a smoke in every scene he's in yeah (laughs) but i like i if i remember right um after everybody's woken up and dressed themselves and everything uh, one of the first interactions we see ripley have and remember this is the first time we're seeing this character, so we don't even know that she's going to be important later. Um, is It's in like a steam vent. It's like a corridor, and there's like some steam on the walls and stuff, and it's really atmospheric lighting, but there's just some like basic maintenance shit that everyone has to do, and she's kind of like delegating. And if I remember right, it's like Harry Dean Stanton and Yafit Koto being kind of standoffish with her, and she's like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Get to work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she even kind of calls out Harry, I think she calls out Harry Dean Stanton, like, you just do whatever he says, like, yup, or just do whatever he says, or Yafit Koto. Yeah, and, um, and from a casting standpoint, she's a very tall woman, mm-hmm. and he's, uh, Harry Dean Stanton, he's, he's a little gremlin man, yeah. <laughs> and like, just from a visual standpoint, you believe that she's if not second in command, then in command of the ship. And she carries herself in that way. And I think that that interaction in particular is really important um, because, again, it enforces that blue-collar atmosphere mm-hmm. where it's like we're all kind of like shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with each other. We may have personal gripes with one another, but I'm in here with you. <laughs> it's like she can, she can hang with the boys, basically. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head why they're awake at this point. They get the company. Yeah. Uh, they're, if I remember right, they're they're hauling like they're they're a mining craft basically. And I just sorry, I just rewatched Leviathan, so. Oh I, shit! I'm like, that's why I'm, I'm having trouble here. I'm like, I, this sounds a lot like Leviathan. Now that I think about it. No, as far as I recall, they they have a trailer basically full of full of ore that they've mined. Yeah. Um, and they're on a return trip to somewhere. I'm not sure if it's. I'm not positive if, if it's Earth, but um their stasis gets interrupted because the company that they work for, Wayland yutani uh, which has a presence throughout the franchise going forward, um, sends them a message and wants them to investigate a planet. Hmm. Like, they want them to go to the, the iconic LV-426. Yes. Um, which is where some bad shit happens. <laughs> and continues to happen. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I love the interiors of the ship, like I mentioned before. I think one of the things I love about, uh, especially this movie and the second one, are the the use of negative space. And especially when it comes to like spaceships and stuff like that, you really have to take a lot of care into what you're building. Um, I mentioned that 2001 A Space Odyssey, you're not going to get the perfectionist of Stanley Kubrick uh, here, but... It's pretty close, and these sets are like these are really really good sets. These well, are big. I think the the major aesthetic difference between the two is um, Kubrick has his he has his look his his feel that he's going for, but well in lit. in Scott's case, uh, he's going for lived in. Mm-hmm. He's going for this is a spacecraft that has been used for X number of years by X number of crews. Every part of it is rickety. 
it goes into fucking space, but at the same time, it's not it's not bright and shiny. It's there's, not a brand new shiny object. There's space duct tape on stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's meant to look kind of rickety. Yeah. <laughs> and it gives it a nice gritty feel. It gives it a nice texture to it. Where like there's like I said, there's fucking steam vents everywhere. Yeah, there are steam vents everywhere. And even the design of the cockpit, like if I remember right, it's like a two seater. Like there's there's a pilot and a co-pilot seat side mm. by side, and there's just dials and switches everywhere it, it looks like a, a moonlander like it's it's fairly cramped uh, it looks very practical mm-hmm. it doesn't look like it's meant to impress you or, or make you jerk off or something it's just a thing it's a tool yeah and uh the central computer that is kind of one of the clunkier parts of the movie if you ask me that it's basically the computer that tom scarrett has long conver- yeah. jerry conversations with <laughs> this was a, i mean this comes up in the abyss this movie um it definitely comes up in uh leviathan which i'm not saying is even on the same level it's just what i've most recently watched where the computer knows a lot more than computers did at this time and even now i think and how it would interact with us on analytics well it's a sub theme and it's one that i think is very personal to ridley scott like it's cre- creation and like non-human organisms are two things that pop up in a lot of ridley scott process- projects like i mean the man directed exodus so he like theology is a bit of a theme and yeah. across his filmography um but you know blade runner is the big example of artificial life and then alien prometheus and alien covenant continued that theme and even alien continues that theme where we have a synthetic person on the ship in the form of ian holm um and i feel like technology run amok is one of those sci-fi themes that can't can potentially worm its way into to any story mm-hmm. if you if you let it and in this case it's more the the company that's to blame it's not like it's not like solely just technology or anything like that it's there's a corporate like a shadowy corporate entity that's directing them towards danger and then the physical presence that manifests is this synthetic person that's yeah malfunctioning on top of being told to do things that are dangerous for the crew excellent casting for the uh for the android ian holm oh yeah he really walks a line between like i i just rewatched the i watched the extended version of uh, lord of the rings and him as bilbo he's just so just so spunky and sprightly and then even like he can just turn like as a, as an actor he could just really make it creepy I like how all the all the neckbeards out there like to point to uh, Anne Hathaway in The Dark Knight Rises. Like, basically, basically people who maybe don't see that many films or or have that much of an understanding of the acting process and stuff. It's like, yeah, when she does that turn where like she goes from being the maid to Catwoman, that's so incredible. It's like, it, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we. It was nice. Yeah, it, it was that. it was nice, but yeah, there are there are many examples of that throughout film history to have that one be the first one that comes to mind it's like tells me a lot about you but yeah ian holm has that in his back pocket like like that iconic moment in the the fellowship where he where he he monster faces Um, a little bit of help with that yeah and uh i mean from hell isn't a good movie no but he does that shit again um and what's really funny though is that he's he's a very gifted comic actor like it's always been said that comedy is the hardest thing to pull off in acting 
And if you can do that, that's why so much praise was showered on Robin Williams. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio is not funny. I've never seen him be funny, even I, in Wolf of Wall Street. I think he's a good physical comic. Like, I don't know about his line, de- his deliveries and stuff like that, but the way he moves his body, the way he, he can be a petulant little bastard, he does that well. Yeah, I can see that. Because, yeah, there's the scene in Wolf of Wall Street where they're all sitting around the table, and they're, you could tell that they're improvising, and it's there's comedic actors. Like, was, that, Hill. was that the little the person? Little, the little yeah. person, yeah, yeah. that was totally improvised. Yeah, you totally could tell. improvised. And, like, Jonah Hill and that other the other little chubby dude are just killing it. Like, they're you're rolling. And he's that. just kind of wait, waiting to jump in. Yeah, and then Leo kind of jumps in, like, he's not... He's just, not just let the other guys do let the that. other guys do it they're doing fine yeah no it, it's like me in a seminar at school where it's like when, when's my turn it's like well i guess it didn't happen this time maybe next week, <laughs> maybe next week. <laughs> but yeah i ian holm um, in brazil i thought always thought was very very funny Forget about that. his role is, is very layered where it's like he's he's like the middle management guy where every time he's in front of the group he has to like put on his big boy pants and be in charge and then he goes into the back office and he's just like oh my god <laughs> he has yeah. no clue what he's doing and he's utterly incompetent he's also like five four yeah no it, it works and uh he has a great moment in alien where uh it's when he's figured out it's when he's cornered and the the white liquid mm. starts going down the side of his face and he just gives this like like head tilt and it's just this utterly unreadable facial expression yeah. where it's like it's it's what a crazy person does, where it's just like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. It, it's like half shrug, half smile, half frown. It's it's like a Robert De Niro face. <laughs> it's like, are you are you laughing? Are you crying? I can't quite tell. <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to talk about uh, at the top before I forget is surprises. So I'm pretty sure that I, I watched this very, 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 very young, and I didn't remember it. And I, I just remember seeing like pieces here and there. Um, and then I watched, uh, I think, Aliens, and then Alien 3, Alien, the third Alien. So I already knew that, and, like, I was explaining, my dad had explained, like, oh, yes, this was the android from the, like, from the first movie that they plug into. Yeah. Or, from, or from the third movie, they plug into, what's-his-face? Um, oh, Lance, Lance Henderson. Henderson. Yeah. Bishop. Yeah, so my dad explained, my dad explained, yeah, so that was a, a robot from the, fir- from the second one. See, I think, I think in some ways that's, like... A little bit of a magical way to see some of these movies it's because i had that with multiple franchises um i saw aliens first a james cameron film yeah i saw terminator 2 first oh. a james cameron film <laughs> and seeing it in reverse order almost made almost made both of them better to be really? honest um yeah i saw aliens before i saw alien in fact alien was one of the very first VHS movies I ever bought with my own money. Oh, nice! Um, I was very insistent that I'm I am I, paying this absurd like take tw- take my money twenty eight dollars yeah. for this VHS that I have to rewind constantly. I think they cost about that now. Oh yeah, I'm, well no, I, I'm pretty sure they're really cheap now. But uh, yeah, I, I watched this movie many 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 times, and there's just so many good things about it. Like I, to be honest, I do prefer Aliens. That's just me personally, but, but yeah, this movie has such a lovely texture to it. And what, what's interesting about it is that it's very quaint in some ways. Like it's not very gory except for one explosion of violence at a, you know, in the first third of the movie or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of it is mostly implied, uh, as fantastic as the monster design is. And we absolutely need to talk about that. We'll get there. Um, 
it's not on screen very often. It's they're they're very judicious with what shots and what angles we see this thing from. Well, what what I meant by surprises was this was the movie that built like nobody knew what was going to happen. Like this this was a new this was a new prototype of a movie. Like this was yeah. this had not been done before. No, my parents always stressed that to me. That's like you need to understand when we saw this. This is not a thing. Yeah, the, not nothing that we saw in this movie was expected. This isn't, <laughs> like, this isn't your classic monster movie. This isn't a slasher. Like this is completely different. And what I'm what I meant by there's no the, there wasn't as many surprises is because when you see that I started most likely with aliens, there's a there does a much better job of building tension. I think like that that hopelessness. Like oh my god, there's so many of them. Like mm-hmm. in the first one, like we're really just terrorized by two, and a lot of the shock and awe comes from. How they, how the gestation, like with John Hurt, like. Well, it's we've talked about this on other episodes where that first kill in a in a monster movie in particular, not not just not just a horror movie, but a monster movie, Mm -hmm. especially when the physiology of the thing is not known to the audience, when it needs to be explained to them, and they do a wonderful job explaining the the life cycle of this thing. Uh, That first kill is pivotal Mm -hmm. because it explains to the audience. This is why you need to be afraid, yeah. <laughs> because this is what happens yeah. <laughs> when um, you fly with a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> as you say, the other thing was introducing the character. Not only do we we get introduced like the chestburster, but when Harry Dean Stanton is like looking for the cat, they don't they have, we haven't even seen the alien. Jonesy. Yeah, looking for Jonesy. Um, I I actually caught it uh, when I rewatched this several years ago. The chains. The chains. Yeah, where he's hanging in the chains. If you're watching this for the first time, I'm like, did you even catch that? I don't even think you'd notice that because you don't. You have no creature reveal yet. I don't think in the marketing they show. I it. seriously doubt it. I've, no, I've seen the original trailer. I think we all have because that music, that 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 ooh, that whale noise. Um, they oh, reused it yes, for Covenant. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, oh. no. The the VHS that I bought had the trailer preceding the movie, and it's excellent. Because that's a, like I was rewatching. I'm like, oh fuck! I'm like, I didn't even know it was up there. Like, I forgot about that. I'm like, imagine being seeing that in the theater or for the first time way back then. Like, oh Jesus! Well, yeah, that that comes back to the the quaintness I was talking about. It's good old '70s editing. We're not in a hurry to get anywhere. <laughs> um, that scene in particular. That's you know the grand reveal of I, I forget if they called it like. It was like the tall man, I think, or the big daddy or what. It had a nickname on the set, uh, the costume. Oh. Uh, by the way, suit actor's name is Bolaji Badijo. Is he like seven feet tall? Yeah. Okay. Um, I know that because when I when I had that VHS watching it over and over and over again, I sat through the credits <laughs> more than once because I that was in my suit actor phase when I was endlessly fascinated by the people who wear the rubber suits. So like Kane Hodder was somebody who's whose name meant something to me when I was, like, 12 or whatever. But, yeah, uh, that's, like, the grand reveal of the monster, and it takes its sweet time. Mm-hmm. And if I remember right, the only sound is is just Harry Dean Stanton looking for Jonesy. Uh, Jonesy doesn't make a sound until it hisses at him or something. Mm-hmm. And then there's just the chains in the ceiling, like some water dripping. There's no music or anything. Maybe a, a Jerry Goldsmith or something. <laughs> but... It takes its time, we get a, a good reveal, and then what actually happens to Harry Dean Stanton is mostly obscured. Yeah. He gets tongued in the face, and then it, like, it's actually really awkward looking. It, like, puts his head on the floor, and then cut. Yeah. Like, we don't need any more than that. 
No, the the shock and awe is with the creature design at this point. So yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the creature design. Yeah. Uh, so the creatures, uh, I mean, the name it usually goes by is the xenomorph. The xenomorph. Um, it's introduced to us uh, through one of the single most iconic moments in modern cinema history: mm-hmm. uh, John Hurt's chest exploding at dinner. <laughs> it, I I love this movie, but there are two there are two scenes in particular that just that the editing just cracks me up. Well, the editing for when we're plugging in Ian Holm later. Uh, dude, yeah, the, oh the cut where, where he goes from mannequin head to actual head. It's so bad. It's bad. Uh, it's a jump cut. It's it's yeah. a it's a legit jump this cut. This isn't even like a flick. It kind of looked the same. It's like his head's over here, his head's over here. All now. you had to do was cut to a shot of Sigourney Weaver's face like going, motherfucker, yeah. like, like doing a get in there kind of face she could have yeah yeah we could have done it, it, it yeah, you, you and i could have done we could it. in have fact fixed. we could do it right now we could, <laughs> we could fix alien right now but yes it, it's been parodied before i th- i can't think of what movie it's probably been parodied Spaceballs. yeah Spaceballs. Spaceballs. uh i think i think a family guy as well i think they oh. did something along those lines um but yeah he the, the the thing actually comes out and then you can tell it's just like a stick with uh well it's kind of like yeah it's kind, kind of, of like, eh. it's inanimate. Like it's, it doesn't even move. It's just that its there's, mouth is. There's just... that one shot where the mouth opens and then it skitters across the table. And then someone takes it on the stick and just like. Oh yeah, and in Spaceballs they do the same thing. They just don't bother to angle it right to hide the stick. <laughs> Does it play putting on the Ritz or something like that? Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Yeah. Hello, my ragtime gal. <laughs> no, what what really sold that was that they got John Hurt. Did they really? Yes, I didn't they even did. notice. I haven't seen Space. No, they so they long. got John Hurt. I think the rest of the people they had people in the aliens costumes, and they had a black guy. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It's not Yafikoto, but just from a visual standpoint, you're kind of supposed to be piecing it together before it gets there. But yeah, uh, when the alien comes out, it's actually John Hurt, and he's just, oh no, not again. <laughs> not again. <laughs> it's like, yep, good job, good job, Mel Brooks. Well. Uh, the designs aren't they based off of an artist? Uh, there's an artist at H. R. Giger. There you go. Uh, he is Swiss. Uh, he has his his shtick. Um, he is mostly a painter. I think he's also a sculptor, though. Um, I can't remember if he's still alive. But his uh, his thing was always like biomechanical. What's it's mm-hmm. um, a lot of uh, grayscale, like very seldom, very like loose use of color mostly just black and white kind of stuff really inky paintings uh really phenomenal stuff uh, i could flip through his work all day I've looked um, he's he's lent his 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 canvas to many a multimedia project like there is a pc game called dark seed they made a couple of those that all the backgrounds and like creature designs he did and species <laughs> he worked uh, on species <laughs> um, i don't know uh what happened there? <laughs> I mean, actually, what's funny about the design from Species is that it's actually a very accurate translation of uh, his style. I'll say he there's a really sexual nature to a few of his pieces. Oh, absolutely, seen, yeah, absolutely, for sure. And and even the, the like the face design of it, it looks like a skinned person kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of his figures are like not asexual, but just somewhere in between. Well, yeah, maybe asexual, but um, yeah, the the Species design is actually very faithful to his work. 
I just don't think it translated to the screen. It didn't translate to 3D as well as maybe they hoped. No. And also, there's a lot of shitty CGI in that movie. Yeah. Speaking of not shitty CGI, <laughs> I couldn't like I couldn't find anything like as far as the creatures concerned. I don't see. I don't think I saw any CGI. It's 1979. That's what I'm saying. We're like, not there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> but there was like we gotta do it in the camera, man. There was like nothing. No. That that's. That's how winning is done. <laughs> no, that that's that's how it was. You you had to do it on the set. Yeah, uh, you had to do it with clever lighting. I mean, have you ever seen behind the scenes photos of what the creature designs in John Carpenter's The Thing look like in no. in ordinary lighting? Uh uh-uh. Not nearly as good as they do in the movie. Well, of course not. Yeah. yeah, it's because it's a setting up those shots to get exactly the right image on the screen that takes fucking talent and time let's make it use a fucking computer let's figure it out later did i ever send you that behind the scenes clip of uh uh what is it amalgamated studios i think is i don't think so uh it's a uh, tom woodruff who worked on all the aliens movies from i think the third one forward okay. um he he and his studio worked on the thing remake and they actually built practical effects for almost every oh, creature. Oh, yes, you in told the... me about this. Did you ever see it, though? No, I didn't see it. Oh, man, remember... you, got, you got to see it. They they did some pretty cool shit. And then that, then when they were filming, they're like, I don't know, we're just going to see it. Yeah, the here. producers decided Ugh. to cover it all with CGI. Fucking so they were shit. there on the set, but they, don't, they didn't end up in the movie. It's I'm... all covered with CGI muck. Idiots. But yeah, the, the life cycle of the alien has always been a huge part of its charm. Is that it starts from like a leathery egg sack, and then it has its its anus open. <laughs> um, I don't know how how maybe people when they get into space get dumb or something. Yeah, I mean not as dumb. I mean Billy Crudup's Billy, the dumbest. He is the dumbest person I've ever seen. In the movie. <laughs> but John Hurt's pretty dumb too. Uh, yeah, I mean. Oh yeah, that's that's one of the things I want to talk about. So they get to this, they get to this planet, and we see if you've seen Prometheus, it's the same, sh- it's the same ship, same style ship. It's a. I think it's a different planet in Prometheus. It's a different planet. D- same ship design though. Same ship design. Um, the I didn't. It's like a sea. It's the weirdest. It's one of the weirdest ship designs I've ever seen. Even it's even weirder than Boba Fett's uh, ship. Yeah, I, I don't know. I know one thing about like spacecraft design is that they don't aerodynamics doesn't matter if you're yeah beyond the atmosphere yeah but you need to escape the atmosphere somehow so the sea shape I would imagine doesn't, doesn't seem very doesn't never. really seem right but <laughs> but like, it's definitely interesting yeah um, one of the things I forgot about was seeing the what I don't know what they're called in this movie but uh, in Prometheus they're called the architects uh, uh, engineers engineers or oh, engineers. engineers there we go engineers. Um, yeah, that I, I don't know how big that set actually is. I don't know if this is a small like if they if this is a a small model and they are using camera tricks to make them seem. I'm pretty sure I've seen some behind the scenes photos of people wandering the set, and, and they're actually and it's big. actually a very large space. Yeah. Um, I think there's some matte painting going on to make it even larger. There we go. But it is large enough for multiple people to navigate. So it's not all miniatures, but I'm pretty sure there are matte paintings to extend the ceiling in particular. And maybe maybe this was Ridley Scott's plan from the beginning because we don't learn anything about him. Like the, yeah, the the name of the character you're talking about, uh, the non character, it's the space jockey. Yeah. Um, it's in the uh, derelict spacecraft, which was until Prometheus the name of the the ship from the first Alien movie. Um, there's just this giant dude 
Yeah. <laughs> just a giant white, like, white uh, mummified dude yeah. with a hole in his chest sitting in what looks like a space telescope or something. Yeah. Um, in the center of the room. And yeah, it's never explained in the movie. Um, I, I think the idea, like, for the product that we got, was that it wasn't really all that necessary to explain to the audience. All you really needed to know, the only really important detail that comes from that is that something, one of the aliens came out of his chest. Uh, The ship isn't mobile anymore and he's dead, so you can assume it crashed or maybe everyone on board died. Uh, I think it's meant to be implied that the the eggs are not the same species as the space jockey. Yeah. but, of course, that gets fleshed out way down the line in the franchise. But, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting to have something so visually arresting but have the movie not even bother to not give you the time of day. <laughs> it's just like, nope, we're not even going to bother with that. And, I mean, I, I didn't really notice it. I like When I originally watched it, I didn't really notice it too much. Then I watched Prometheus. I'm like, oh, that's the, that's the guys. Yeah. And, and I went back to watch it. I'm like, now it's bothering me that they're not bringing it up because I didn't think about it before. I wonder what, like, seeing it for the first time without seeing aliens or anything um, subsequent, like, what was going through people's minds when they saw that? Like, what is that thing? Don't, don't worry about that. We're, we'll, we'll explain that in, like, 30 years. <laughs> well, that's what's really interesting, is that aliens did not come out until 1986. Oh, that's right. So there were a good seven years between this and that. So It's totally fine. Th- this was a different age of cinema where you were not guaranteed to get a sequel. Is that the perfect... Is it the perfect amount of time to get a sequel in? I think I think three years is about right. I'm going by the Rocky timetable. <laughs> if, if, if we ever get that third Sherlock Holmes movie, the Jude Law um, RDJ. It's supposed to be in the works. I, I think it'll still be good even this long. 2011 was the last one. I mean, pushing eight years, and I don't even know when it's going to come out. I mean, Jude Law is in the middle of an upswing. Yeah, so. he's getting right back. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, he's getting back to it. Robert Downey Jr. is like... He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to do anything. No. <laughs> no. But, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Uh, I want to talk about the characters themselves. Um, so, after, you know, John Hurt gets the face hugger, nobody knows what the hell's happening. Um, Sigourney Weaver's already established herself as a person of authority, but now she's really putting her foot down and standing up to the captain, Tom Skerritt, who wants to bring him on the ship. And she's like, no, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, we bring him back in. Um, just the gestation period. Are you saying it's about 12 hours? What would you say? Because I'm not saying it's a full day, but I think it's at least 12 hours. It's got to be. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the first time we... Sounds like first time we both saw this movie, we were pretty young. Yeah. So that ten minutes or whatever of screen time felt pretty long. Yeah. Because uh, you know you're a little kid, and yeah. you want things to move. Yeah. <laughs> you're used to your transformers and your your street sharks and whatnot. <laughs> Bat- my Batman toys. Your Batman toys yeah. and whatnot. <laughs> things gotta move. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I always felt that yeah, it, it's got to be at least half a day, if not an entire day. Yeah. Um. And again, the the '70s editing plays in here, where it feels like it takes a minute. Um, in later films, they speed it right the fuck up to the point that it gets a little obnoxious, if you ask me. Well, in the second one, it doesn't really face hug on any, or it's already face hug people. So they we, get around it by yeah. never showing it happen. Yeah, it's already happened and it's already been happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alien Resurrection, it happens to a dog, and that's what sets it off. And I don't oh, three. three, I'm three. sorry, not yeah, three. Resurrection, I don't remember very well. Three, again, the, uh, no, Resurrection, they do the thing where 
the editing makes it kind of up in the air how long it's taking. It seems like it's pretty quick. Yeah. Um, because that that place gets infested right fucking quick. <laughs> I think where it goes off the rails is when we get to the AVP and AVP Requiem. That's where it really speeds yeah, up. Yeah. No, I mean, like, what, they go out of their way to say, oh, this pyramid rearranges itself every ten minutes. It's like, so you mean that alien came out of that dude, like, in, in ten, ten minutes? minutes. <laughs> 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 it fully, yeah, fully formed adult, ready to go. Yeah, and even Covenant's pretty blah. Yeah, I mean it's a little quicker. It it should never be a surprise when <laughs> like surprise well, aliens should never really happen. In Covenant, there is one that goes out, but the one that um, uh, what's his face screams at that one's been there a little bit because he's actually built up that bond with him. He's a little older, I believe. Oh uh, well, th- I, those anyway, aren't sorry. those aren't aliens. Yeah, those are, we've already th- talked about. No, that. those those are those, pro- those are prototype aliens. Those aren't xenomorphs proper. Those Man. are something else entirely. David is a I'm, psychopath. In I'm more talking about the the uh, Hispanic gentleman with the acid yeah. burn on his face. Yeah. How he surprised aliens everyone. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> that face hugger was on him for seconds. Yeah. He never yeah. lost consciousness. I think he would know if some if an embryo yeah. went down his fucking throat. Yeah, there's some kind of sed- it has some kind of sedative on it. That he never he never no. goes out. No, I'm pretty sure he would have known if something went down his throat. He just it's like trying to hump his face and just shot it in there real quick without even having the tube all the way down. No, I mean that's how he got the burn on his yeah. face. Is the guy got on him right quick and cut the thing's leg. Uh, I want to talk about how the the characters deal with the situation because it's pretty well rounded. Uh, yeah, we get a wide wide swath of reactions here yeah. where uh so john hurt gets face hugged um i really like uh, the design choice on the egg by the way how it's a mm. uh, it's semi-transparent yeah because when he shines a light on it you can see something wiggling around in there and then it has that thing that they, they i think they put a little less emphasis on it by the time you get to covenant but i like how it has this like it's almost like a shark's eye how it has like a lens or like a film that slides over before it pops yeah. out so like it's like something sloshing or tumbling over inside the egg and it's just that last like point of no return moment where it's yeah. like well the lens the film came back you are so fucked. you are so <laughs> it's it's a neat design and if even in 1979 like obviously the egg designs have gotten more elaborate but even in 79 it looks pretty fucking organic do we have anything like i'm there might be like an old like 50s b sci-fi horror movie that has eggs from like an alien planet but i seriously doubt it so this was actually something new well, as well. i think they were more like chicken eggs where they like hatch yeah like they crack and hatch as opposed to like like uh, anus I mean, like, so, I mean, you'd, you'd be captivated at this point like what the fuck are these things yeah no it, it top to bottom this movie is lovely to look at mm-hmm. um but yeah john hurt he uh we we get our our lovely uh acid moment uh where they try to forcefully remove the face hugger from his face and then it squirts acid. We learn that the thing's got acid for blood. It burns through several layers of several. Of the, so this is serious fucking acid. In fact, that Hispanic gentleman from Covenant, his face should be just gone. gone. Yeah, he gone. should. He should be gone. Yeah, super napalm. It should just yeah. be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- this is this is what I keep harkening back to about monster movies. This is how you fucking do this shit. Yeah. This is the blueprint. Um, in so many ways, is you need to spell it out to the audience. This is what the thing does. This is why it's dangerous. This is what it wants to do to you. <laughs> so right off the bat, we have a spider thing that jumped onto a guy. Yeah. Uh, 
it's keeping him alive. We learned that. And yeah. if we try to take it off, oh, it, it's got acid for blood. Oh, yeah. Also, it grips tighter on his neck yeah. when they try to take so it. So if you forcefully remove it, it will kill him. Yeah. So it's like, okay, what do we do? We just leave it on. And then, oh, it just died on its own. And then we get a cool... It's it definitely modeled after a spider, kind of. Yeah. Um, it's got these little air sack things and a long tail. But <laughs> like when it's upside down, it looks like a shriveled spider. It's like a spider hand. Yeah. And they're like poking it, and it's like it looks like Gross. a it looks like a clam or something, <laughs> like the inside of a clam. But then he he gets up at some point, and he's fine. And then we get the dinner scene, which uh, scares be- the shit out of everybody. Yeah. Behind the scenes detail, apparently it was like highly improvised yes because they had no idea what was going to happen yeah 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 we just knew we were doing a dinner scene we knew i think the context where he had just come out of essentially a coma and then he starts flipping the fuck out (laughs) as an actor like well he's like in his late 30s early 40s and i'm assuming he's a smoker because everybody was a smoker at this time and he's smoking in the movie oh yeah so (laughs) people like are on the on the set they're like he's having a fucking heart attack like that's not uncommon for somebody that age to be you know who's a smoker (laughs) to have a heart attack uh, like we don't know how often he smoked. We just started working with him like last week. He's like, so what? What do you want me to do, Ridley? <laughs> you want you want me to have a heart attack on screen? Oh bloody hell! He's like that's that's all. That's a pretty good. That's a good John Hurt. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So yeah, you, you just need to get into that mindset of like, oh, who the devil is it? <laughs> it's can't. too bloody early. I can't. I can't. I can't. We need to get rid of this alien. It's in my chest. It's in my chest. <laughs> <laughs> At least it didn't come out of my dick. <laughs> so yeah, so after everybody sees this shit, like, again, no one in cinema history has seen anything like this. So of course, these characters are like, what the fuck is this? Uh, Yafat Kodo is taking a really, um, he's a very scared aggressive. Uh, he really is, he is trying to kind of take charge. Um, not going over so well. Tom Skerritt, uh, actually... Once the chest pressure comes out, I think Ridley is the most, I mean, the most reasonable person and the most confident. Yeah, that's why I like Tom Skerritt in this movie, is he comes across as that, as that guy. He's like, in, in title only, but, you know, gender roles and all that stuff, it's like, I'm the leader, I'm, I need to, I need to be the guy who goes into the tunnel with the flamethrower because I'm the captain. It's like, mm. He's, he's the captain, but also at the same time, like... He's prepared for a job where he know, like he's definitely worked as an uh, an executive officer, executive officer, a co-captain, where he knows every scenario and how to act, like or at least most scenarios that you could expect. This is not one of those times, so you yeah. could see how he reacts to it. It's just like it's very human. Yeah, he comes across as somebody who knows everybody's going to be looking at him, like for answers and whatnot. But he's he's human. He he's not perfect. He. Obviously, nobody knows what to do here. It's just a matter of whether you have a good poker face or not. And he's still using, like, Sigourney Weaver's character, or Ridley, sorry. Ripley. Uh, Ripley. Um, I always do that. Ripley, well, Ridley, Rip- yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. hard. I mean, what, side note, nerd, nerdy side note. <laughs> uh, Metroid, the Nintendo games. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, there's a space dragon that's an iconic rival to the main character named Ridley. Mm, gotcha. Ripley. Uh, because, you know. You, you get it. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Uh, they, I mean, they have a really heated exchange at one point. Like, yeah. she's really getting into it. And, uh, yeah, Yafet Code is a little more aggressive. Harry Dean Stanton's kind of just like, I don't... I, I don't get paid enough for this. I, I don't even know what the fuck's going on. Yeah. And then... Uh, well, I mean, there's a reason why he's the one that goes after the cat. 
Like he he that's his way of dealing with things. It's like by not dealing with them. Veronica Cartwright is doing like the she's just oh, God. Yeah. She's, she's just she's just terrified. Yeah, she does that a lot in this movie, but I'll never forget that. Oh, God. <laughs> like it's after the thing is already out. But I mean she gets splooshed in the face. She so does. she gets the brunt of it. I mean, were we killing I mean were we killing a lot of ladies back in the day? Like, in horror movies? Was that common? Cause yeah, maybe I mean, that's always been a thing. Generally, there is... Deep Blue Sea defies this. Uh, there's generally a lady or a lady and guy pair that make it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess... Breeding can, pair. Yeah, the, yeah, the breeding <laughs> pair, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the breeding pair make it out. Um, in this case, they definitely, you know, kill one of the female characters. I'm like, does that, did that happen quite often in, in this time period? I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough. The thing has no women, so I, I don't know uh, the reference. Well, that's actually an interesting point because I watched a lot of fifties B movies when I was a kid, and most of my memories of them are the body count isn't women. Uh, the women get kidnapped a lot. Like the monster carries them off, but very seldom kills them. I feel like it's it was tasteless. Like you can definitely kill women in noir. Like that's that's well your... in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> We're all about stabbing ladies. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, in American films, in America though, we don't do that. I, yeah, I don't feel like it. It was, it was common for sci-fi and horror at the time uh, yeah you, i think you're right actually like I, I don't know that ladies were on the chopping block like I, I don't know that they were on the menu for for most sci-fi horror movies we're disgusting like, they're all fair game <laughs> <laughs> okay so trevor you're a big monster movie guy oh yeah so one of the things that we've talked about and one of the reasons why i think the godzilla 98 is fun for the first eh, 30 minutes is because that's just getting to the creature reveal. Mm-hmm. Now, generally, uh, I can't remember them. Uh, the creature reveal was a little bit different, but for the most part, creature reveals, the creature's already the creature. Like, it's already big. In this case, we're actually introduced to our, our creature in its life cycle. And it's something we're going to talk about here. We meet it when it's first, uh, I guess, an embryo, we'll say. And yep. the face hugger represents the embryo, and it actually puts it in. It gives birth. The it, sperm with legs. Yeah, sperm with legs. <laughs> hey, I mean, you can just say that's men. Uh, <laughs> um, and then it it, uh, it gives birth by killing somebody, bursting out of their chest. Yeah. And then it actually takes, we'll say, mm, well, the life cycle we'll discuss, but it will say twenty four hours for it to become a fully fledged xenomorph. Sure. So. Are there other creature reveals like that? Because we actually get the steps of the creature reveal, not like it picking off one or two people. The the first creature reveal we get of like how like how serious it is is the chest burst. We haven't even gotten to the first kill by the actual creature. Hmm, that is actually kind of interesting. Like like the entire life cycle of the thing, we're introduced to it from quote unquote like inception, basically. Like, yeah. um, nothing comes to mind right off the bat. Like usually things are are already like you said preformed at some in some way well even think about them movie you and i both seen you really enjoy it oh uh, yeah and i think it's a fantastic huge, huge huge candidate for deserving a remake if you ask me <laughs> i i want to see them with a big budget <laughs> we both we both love getting that creature reveal and in, in them the creature actually kills in a way that we don't even know that it's going to be a creature like yeah it starts out as a serial killer movie yeah it starts out as a detective story 
And it's one I had to watch in my class, which is one of the reasons why I had to watch it. Like, this is important. This is well, important. It's because they take their time getting there, and it feels like a police procedural until the grand reveal of the ant. So, but there, you would say that there's a prototype, or there's like, there's a sequence that makes something a creature reveal, or like a creature movie. You kind of have to follow this. So, do you think that at the time when they made this, people were like, oh, we're going to get the creature reveal? So, when we have the John Hurt chestburster, we're like, uh uh-uh, uh, nobody's expecting that. Yeah, no, I'm sure that was a big moment that everybody, as soon as the idea was floated and, you know, it was determined that this is going to happen, it's like, we're going to fucking make this a moment. Yeah. Because really, I mean, that's absolutely shocking. I mean, even if the effect wasn't that great, just thinking about what happened, it's like a man's rib cage exploded from the inside, inside out. Inside out. I think John Hurt was making the capital sin of uh, planning what he's going to do when he gets home. <laughs> you are dead. <laughs> this might have been one of the first... This is one of the early instances of this where he's just, just like, oh. hear radio chatter. It's like, I can't wait to get home to my wife. Boom! Yeah. I have the fence to paint. <laughs> Three children. <laughs> that fence is going to collect weeds, bitch. <laughs> but yeah, that, that is interesting that you point out, though. It's like, I, I really can't think of another monster that is created in along with, along with how the audience is being fed the information. Um, but I, that's one thing I really love about the flow of this movie, though, is that so much of the narrative is is having the audience in the same shoes as the people that are contending with this monster. Yeah. Where it's like, nobody, nobody understands this thing. It seems like every time they start to understand it, it's different. Yeah. Because it starts out as an egg, then it turns into a spider thing with a tail that rapes your face. Yeah. And then, and then a, a a wormy snake creature comes out of that person's chest, and then the wormy snake thing sheds and somehow becomes a nine foot tall behemoth with a human skull embedded inside its face. Oh yeah, and it has a mouth for a tongue. Yeah, it has a mouth for a tongue, and it's almost indestructible by human hands. Apparently, it, uh, it doesn't seem to sweat fire too much. I mean, not really. I mean. It ran right the fuck up on Tom Skerritt, and he had that flamethrower. Mm. <laughs> that is true. Um, but yeah, we were going to talk about the life cycle of it. Yeah, I mean, I, that's mostly what I wanted to get to. It's okay. just that it's it's fascinating to me. Like the the life cycle of the creature is largely its charm. Yeah, is is that it's it's unpredictable at every turn. So if this is the first time you're encountering this creature, it's like I I just want to know what the fuck it does next. It's kind of like the thing or something where it's like. What what the fuck is this thing going to do next? Um, and in the case of the alien, I mean, if it's your first time seeing this thing, you, there's no way you could have predicted that the, the snake, the chestburster, as yeah. it's called, uh, could have become what it became. No. <laughs> um, just in terms of scale. And even, like, coloration. Because, like, the chestburster is, is kind of like... Pale white. Yeah, it's like pale... Yeah. yeah, it's like cream colored. Yeah. And then the, the you know, the prime alien, the yeah. fully grown one, the matured one, is you know distinctly black yeah decidedly different color the opposite color in fact um, um but actually a question i, I thought of uh, when you were talking kyle was uh and this relates to aliens is a uh, alien was a self-contained product for about seven years there was no sequel um and in in that story there's no queen no uh because the queen wasn't written into the narrative it wasn't until Aliens came about that James Cameron had the idea of introducing that concept. I'm curious, Kyle. Like, what are your 
feelings on that do you do you prefer it one way or the other or do you not give a shit <laughs> um i think that they leave enough like the, the the creature's so new and alien and we're not even sure how it got there like we don't know how all these eggs got there it's we find out in prometheus uh <laughs> and alien covenant where they come from but it's something that i think that really scott in, in like purposely did not mention so he could leave it open maybe to I think he left enough open in the first one that he was maybe thinking of a prequel or he was going to think of his own sequel. I think that was the problem was that he was supposed to do a sequel and it just didn't happen. And maybe James Cameron added the queen or that was the intention the whole time. I, I mean, I know famously James Cameron pitched aliens by writing on like a whiteboard, like the word alien. And then he just like put his finger over his, his mouth and had a quizzical look about him. And then he walked up to the whiteboard and he put an S, <laughs> aliens, and then all the all the producers in the room were like, absolutely, <laughs> um, <laughs> fuck yes. <laughs> I think it was a way just to get a lot. Like that was the problem with the first one, or problem with aliens is that there's only one or two that are like terrorizing this group, and like how do we make it scary? Well, we add a bunch more and a bigger crew. Like it's it's a bit a bit scarier. Well, that's what's interesting though is that um, there's a line in the towards the beginning of Aliens where Ripley is talking in some corporate suits and yelling about how one of these things was enough to kill my entire crew. <laughs> she really enunciates those lines. <laughs> um, but, I mean, there is significance there. It's like a single alien was able to do that. And that's actually what's really funny to me about Alien Covenant is, and uh, AVP also, where like the, the predators in that movie are utterly incompetent. There are three predators in that film, and two of them are killed by one alien. Yeah. In the same scene. <laughs> like, you guys, they mentioned, they're like, oh, sometimes aliens win, sometimes the predators win, it's no big deal. No, one alien. <laughs> one alien. A drone, by the way. The only thing that makes it distinct is that it has that checkerboard pattern on its head. But oh, yeah. in Covenant, the alien, the menace of it is taken, is just thrown right out the window. Because it's only in the last 20 minutes of the movie, it only gets to kill a couple of people, and its behavior is just asinine. Yeah. Like, it doesn't come across as a competent hunter in any way. It just kind of shrieks and runs at everything in sight, including inanimate objects, by the way. Mm. Um, whereas the alien in the first film has a really creepy way of moving. Um, it's actually... It's very still, for the most part. It doesn't lunge at anyone, really. No. It's very still, it's very creepy, and, by the way, it killed the entire fucking crew all by itself. True. It took its, it took its time, and it did it. And... You need to assume that you know there's no queen in, involved, so it it makes you think like, what was the intent behind the the life cycle of this creature? Because we know that there are a shit ton of eggs, but we know that each one of those eggs requires a living host in order to you know reproduce. Mm -hmm. So from a from that standpoint, it's like this this creature seems almost doomed to fail, which is where Prometheus starts to, or covenant rather starts to make some sense where it's like this is a weaponized this is a bioweapon yeah where it's not meant to thrive it's meant to just kill pop up and kill the fuck out of everything hmm. it's like a single generation creature because i mean we've never seen it alien well in the movies anyway we've never seen a alien reproduce through sex or whatever yeah it, it seems like james Cam i don't know if, if ridley scott had planned to do the queen and i no, i don't think he no, did. no no i don't think he did i don't think he did uh, either and in fact i'm almost 100 percent sure uh, i know james cameron i'm pretty sure he wrote aliens uh, he may have co-wrote it but 
the queen was engineered for that movie specifically because okay. we we want to up the ante and which is which works which worked to great yeah we need a boss level yeah so we just need a big alien with a giant ass yeah <laughs> but it, it's always been fascinating to me that's like is like does it add to or detract from the strength of that creature to have it be part of a hive culture as opposed to just being a singular organism um i think i think it has to do with the direction uh, because the second movie, like you said, is more of an action movie than it is a horror movie. Absolutely. So I think, I think because the tone is that, I think it takes away from like the queen being scary or being that effective. Because now it's just like we have the tools to kill it now because we know like we have the in Alien they didn't have the tools to kill it. In yeah. the second one they absolutely do. So it's like well if we're just clipping like just xenomorphs and like well we can take them out no problem. Like well what happens when you get a way bigger one? Yeah. So I I think that kind of. Uh, it doesn't make it scarier, but I think that's kind of what James Cameron was going for. Yeah, this is going to be more difficult for us to kill. I think that's a, it's just like a narrative or a philosophical difference. <clears throat> Where obviously with the space jockey, Ridley Scott was not afraid of leaving the audience in utter bafflement, just yeah. like you know, utterly baffled and not entirely sure what the hell's like, going they're on. They're gonna fucking forget that thing once yeah, we get um, going. Yeah, I know uh, the. There's a there's a cut. I don't know if it's a director's cut. Every Ridley Scott movie has a quote unquote director's cut. I don't know how many of them actually have his supervision involved, but there is a cut of Alien that has uh, additional scenes where when Ripley is prepping the ship to detonate at the very end after everyone's dead. Um, I, if I remember right, she encounters Tom Skerritt, and mm. he's he's cocooned against a wall. Um, which in the theatrical version of the film, we don't see any cocoons. The only thing close to it, I think, is we see like some drool and uh, the shed skin of the chestburster that Harry Dean Stanton finds before his face gets fucked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the significance of having the cocoon element that like that takes that gives the creature intent, and maybe maybe that took away from the horror of the situation because by having it like setting aside. Meal, um, meals, or whatever, uh, it gives host. It, it gives it like agency. Yeah. Gives it a, it gives it a clear cut goal, as opposed to just like cut away every time it attacks someone. And it's just like, yep. I, I don't know what happened. I just don't. I know I don't want that to happen to me because it needs to be said. Yafit Koto and Veronica Cartwright both die off screen. Well, I think also James Cameron had to do, had to explain where the eggs come came from because James Cameron or not James Cameron, but Ridley Scott hadn't. No, he didn't bother to. He didn't bother to. So I think that's kind of where he had to, he's like, well, we have to, like, yeah, we can. We know that if they have a person, they have a host, and they can keep making more, like, but where do the eggs come from? So I think... Well, I mean, that's verbalized in Aliens, in yeah. the script. Like, where, so where, who is making these eggs? Correct. Yeah. I think that's he. that was probably something as a director that was driving him nuts. He's like, why the fuck didn't he explain where the eggs come from? <laughs> Jimmy's got Jimmy's to gotta explain it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. It could be that case. Um, I think it was more just an excuse to up the ante, um, but it dramatically changes the character of the creature, mm -hmm. where it's like you have the singular alien that we got in both the first film and the third one, and to a lesser extent Covenant, and then you have aliens, where it's like, no, these are drones, yeah. these are warrior aliens, these have a distinct goal in mind, that is to snatch and grab people, not to eat them, mm -hmm. just to put them aside so they can make more aliens. Correct. And it in some ways, it's hard to say if it makes them scarier or not, to know that they have an intention, I guess. 
Um, I think for me, the, the, what makes them scarier is the the atmosphere, like it, having no weapons. That's the thing. So I think the second one's more fun because we have weapons, like we have guns, we can take care of this. Alien, we don't have weapons. A, uh, Alien uh, three, they're on a prison. They're on we a got pri- Charles S. Dutton. Yeah, that's all that, we need. That's a weapon. <laughs> that's, that's a, a living weapon. weapon. <laughs> that is a throat ripper if I've ever seen one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so in the third one, they don't have weapons as well, so it's like, well, we're fucked, and that's what makes it a little scarier, and I think that's why in the second one, it's yeah. not as scary. Yeah, we'll come back to that when we talk about the third one, because the character, the creature in that one is dramatically different from the other ones. We both have our problems with the third one. Everybody um, does. Everybody does. The director, especially. <laughs> he took his name off it. Yeah. I don't like David it. Fincher, he, he removed his name from that project. That was his directorial debut, too. <laughs> that's fucked, dude. <laughs> But yeah, we should keep things on track with the first film. Mm-hmm. You know, close it out right. Uh, so yeah, uh, the the final act of this movie, and I'm gonna gloss over all the corporate stuff. Like the corporate, the it corp- comes into play later. Yeah, it comes into play. Um, but- Eon Holm goes nuts. We get that sequence that you yeah. talked about with the really. So for the folks who maybe haven't seen the movie, shame on you. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Stop listening and go watch it. Yeah, go watch the movie. Um, there's this sequence that is a little bit horrifying but as a child this was a little bit funny to me mostly because he's trying to put a magazine in a woman's mouth <laughs> to kill her <laughs> yeah um, um yeah uh, ian holm is outed as a uh, a uh, synth he is a synthetic human being again this is a very common thing in a in a ridley scott films no Watching this young, when I was a kid, I had no idea that he was synthetic. Oh, neither did I. And I think rewatching it, I'm like, I don't think we're, they might have mentioned it, but it's so in passing that we have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, it's been a minute since I've seen it, but I feel like it's a, it's meant to be a reveal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it. it's not something that's known to the characters. Because, I mean, at this point, if we have a droid or an android in a movie that I can remember... I mean, there's no androids in the original Star Trek, is there? Uh, there may be. I'm not sure. Because I think Data was like the first like synthetic humanoid that looks quote unquote eh, human. That's not true. I, that I can think of that. Met- metro- in, Metropolis, dude. I'm thinking like in the Star Trek. Like at this point, like robots are usually identified as robots or yeah. cyborgs, is what I'm getting at. So yeah, this was like I was thinking about like this is a reveal. Like we already knew this. Like, if you and I already yeah. did because we've watched the second and yeah, third Yeah, we're waiting for this scene because, again, he tries to kill a woman by stuffing a rolled-up magazine in her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> There's easier a ways to... Woman who's got about a head of height on him, by the way. Because <laughs> he is a tiny hobbit person. <laughs> you better pray she don't know how to box. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, his head gets knocked off. Uh, and, again, as a child, I understood that this was meant to be scary, but I was still laughing. Because there, there's a headless robot man doing like, doing karate chop arms, and there's like milk shooting out of his neck hole, and uh, then they they turn him back on, and he, his head is off, and he's covered in like milky white blood. And then there's that shot that you brought up before where it's like it's a really shitty jump cut where it's like very distinctly a fake like mannequin head. But it's really good. That's the thing. That's the thing that drives me nuts. It's like, it's a pretty good fit, it's man. It's pretty good, but... the time. But, but the if you edit. do a jump cut and have the actor slip in place of it... You can see him blinking. Like, yes. <laughs> yes. He's just, oh, yeah, I'm sleeping right no, now. My, my favorite part about it is, like, right before the cut. 
like when they're when they're turning the head upright so it can match how his head is going to be positioned when we switch the actor in like it starts to fall over and you can see them like like push it down again to like keep it keep it flat <laughs> it's like why did you leave that in that looks terrible <laughs> very unprofessional but yeah uh, he gets his really chilling conversation with the crew where it's basically explaining like why they're there corporate stuff um y'all y'all are probably gonna die but the idea was we wanted to bring the life form back um it's really really good scene but it's just really awkward (laughs) i get frustrated sometimes when we try to make the big corporation seem like the bad guy because if i'm a business owner like this big corporation like listen we have this thing we have no idea what it is but we know that it is fucking deadly and it's unlike anything we've ever seen like Six people are going to die if you bring it back to study it. But it could have an ROI through the roof, like trillions of dollars. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm going to take that risk. And I don't know why they're like, oh, I can't believe they do that. I'm like, money. Of course they're going to absolutely do it. No problem. So, I, I, same with Leviathan. <laughs> they're like, oh, we're expendable. I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of money for, for like a few people. I'm like, um, I'm okay with it. Well, that's what's kind of interesting about these movies and maybe i'm forgetting something but uh i feel like the the extraterrestrial aspect is kind of like glossed over like i i feel like i feel like this is our first time as a species like in in the series canon like that we're encountering non-human life like like non-earth life forms um it's actually kind of hard to tell like i feel like it's a it's clever from a writing standpoint where nobody comes across as overly shocked that it's a non non earth based life form that we're encountering here. Cause like when the suits are talking to Ripley, like they're all skeptical, but none of them are like flipping the fuck out. That's like, Oh, we found an alien. Yeah. What? It's, it's just kind of like, Oh, you know, okay. <laughs> it's like nobody's talking to the government or it's like anything like that. Well, do we have a government? <laughs> Well, when we see the face hugger, like, well, this is not mammalian. Like, this is not this is not us. But then you see the xenomorph. But their like, reaction to it is kind of like, meh. meh. It was like maybe we have encountered alien species before. It, but they never go into it either way. So it's it's kind of clever. It's a way of dodging that question. Well, I think that we haven't, and that's what I. Th- um, what's his face? Uh, Ridley Scott kind of does in Prometheus is that this isn't a creature. This is something that has the potential to be a creature. Um, and it's more of a, I guess, a pathogen? I'm not sure exactly what you'd um, describe it as. The, its original form is that is that black stuff. So oh, it, the goo. The goo, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's originally black goo. I don't, I don't even know what the origin of the, the xenomorph is anymore. It's, it's so hazy at this point. It's, yeah, you're right. Because, I mean, if, yeah. if Covenant would have you believe its story, then David, yeah. then... then it's the black goo as manipulated by a synthetic person. By the Wayland Corporation. Ipso facto. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, by, you know, by extension, yeah. <laughs> but that may, oh, that's interesting. So maybe that explains why in Alien they're so dead set on getting it is because this is their, 
Like I mean, that, that's a hell of a retcon, but yeah, could be. Maybe that's what that's what maybe Ridley Scott had in plan the whole time was like this was made by the corporation. That was gonna be the big reveal at the end. It was like, oh shit, it was the corporation the whole time. They made it originally by this android. I mean, the seventies, the late seventies in particular, were an interesting time. Like it was that was kind of like when the environmentalist stuff was really kicking in. And, yeah, you know, I'm sure anti anti corporate sentiments were probably. Starting to be on oh, the rise, only to be like smacked right the fuck down. <laughs> you can, like at this point, you can hear somebody hitting the joint while they talk about anti-establishment corporations. I mean, put put it this way. I mean, the the nineteen seventies King Kong movie has a subplot about petroleum. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Edgy stuff. I mean, these these were the times. <laughs> um, were but, you wanting to talk about the deaths? Yeah, let's talk about some deaths. Some deaths. Uh, sadly, there aren't that many on-screen deaths in this film. The the best ones, I think, uh, well, they, they have to be. Uh, <laughs> There's only like two. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cartwright. Cartwright? Ver- Veronica Cartwright. And- oh, her, her uh, audio death. Mm-hmm. But it's the lighting is what I makes these deaths effective. Uh, Tom Skerritt, he... Yeah, he is. He, get, he gets a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> he gets a surprise hug from a from a creepy stranger in a tunnel. Um, that happens to him. Yafet Kodo also dies off screen. Um, but yeah, um, Ver- Wait, yeah. Uh, so John Hurt, his chest explodes. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton, like like I told you, his face gets fucked and he gets uh, set up for like a head punt. <laughs> like yeah. he, he gets American history X'd by a by an alien. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Yafet Kodo and Veronica Cartwright are killed together, and they kind of redo that a little bit in Covenant. Um, it's a little tastier in Covenant because mm. that's how again that's those sign of the well, times. Yeah. What do we have? We got yeah. We we got to put it on screen now. We can't imply this shit. Um, we kind of get a sense of what's happening to him. Uh, he gets punctured with the the tongue mouth. Yeah. Um, the iconic mouth tongue. Um, and meanwhile, Veronica Cartwright's just like cowering in a corner watching all this happen while he's like fighting for his life. And if I remember right, they're, they're all gathering supplies because they're planning on detonating the ship and like running off into the escape craft, the shuttlecraft. Yeah. Um, so Ripley's off doing other business. Everyone else is dead at this point. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he gets the tongue through the mouth and then uh, the alien like she's just paralyzed with fear veronica cartwright and if i remember right it like slides its tail up her ankle yeah so it's at, um what's happening behind what's happening is she's working a little bit further down there's a light hitting them from behind and y'all fat coda you can see a shadow kind of moving in the background and then you realize once he's dead the shadow comes in again it's you know the xenomorph yeah and i think she gets grabbed i think she gets grabbed yeah it's it's really subtle because the the hooked it has a hooked spiny tail by the way because yeah. this thing is just a mess of needles and yeah. points it, it's it, it's a weapon <laughs> it seems like if you fall on it you're gonna hurt your head like yeah it, it even, even its back has these protrusions they're like tubular but also rigid yeah you're gonna you're gonna get concussion bumping in this and thing. it has of course the iconic corona skull head yeah. um which again in the right light you can see there's actually a human skull inside its semi-translucent face um it's not known whether this thing has eyes um, Covenant would actually do monster vision, which is something I disagree with usually. The third alien does the vision too. Yeah, uh, 
it's more of like a fisheye effect whereas covenant is just bad vision (laughs) it's just really bad vision um monster vision to me it's like unless it's like the predator where it has a dramatically different viewpoint and it lends a lot of character yeah um i generally don't like like you know first person perspective monster cam i like it in the second one because it's like oh yeah i see infrared and other ways, bitch. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the in the meat packing plant. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's like, oh, you think you're clever? You he's got like, tricks. He's like, I feel like there's somebody in here. No, it's no. Like, Boom, motherfucker! <laughs> yeah, you did. It's like, gonna be a cool day in hell. I get outsmarted by Gary Busey. <laughs> Dumb motherfuckers. All right, there we go. Well, yeah. Anyway, uh, sorry. Um, Veronica Cartwright. Um, if I remember right, we just see like the hook tail just start to go up her leg and and then we cut away and it's ripley running down a hallway i think to help them yeah and we just hear the nastiest fucking scream maybe ever it's chilling Ooh, it's like it's like it sounds like somebody's choking and getting like getting their esophagus torn out (laughs) ridley scott gets the screams out of people because remember uh fassbender and covenant that's one of the most haunting things I've ever heard. Oh, man, the counselor. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he's doing that, yeah. He just knows how to get it out of people. I guess so. Maybe that's his one Kubrick thing, and she's just like, I'm going to make you lose your hair. I need my scream. Like, <laughs> I, need, I need it. I mean, shit, good results. Yeah. I don't know what, what it took to get that, but... <laughs> but uh, if, I ever meet, if I ever meet her, if she's still alive, hopefully. Uh, if I ever meet her, i got to ask her, like, how'd you get that scream? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure she had to be in a recording booth for a long time because yeah. that was quite epic. Honey and tea, just like keep, keep <laughs> coating the throat, keep coating the throat. But yeah, um, so yeah, we it's pretty much the deaths. But um, I'm trying to think what happens here because I the ending of Alien and Aliens kind of just blur together because. Because they both involve gigantic explosions. They involve leaving, or like almost leaving and coming back. Mm -hmm. That's what happens in both of them. Yeah, I remember being very frustrated with the end of Ailing when I was a kid because even as a child, it's like, I know everyone who's going to die has died, Mm -hmm. so why am I watching? (laughs) (laughs) Well, now it's like a nail-biter, like, get to the chopper, like, you gotta go. Yeah, and the atmosphere during this this closing act of the film is, is... really fucking good stuff because like the it's lighting chaotic. in the ship is like the ship is is turned into a ghost ship yeah. seemingly just out of nowhere where like the all the emergency light is blaring mm-hmm. again uh, steam uh, yeah there's like a klaxon going there's steam vents everywhere it looks muggy as shit three, everybody looks miserable three minutes to the destruction of earth yeah 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 it's that kind of situation and we're trapped with ripley and yeah. it's it's very it's not claustrophobic but it's like we the audience know she's it yeah and she knows that too and her performance kind of sells that fact and what makes this really frustrating for us the viewer and the character is that the plan was to detonate the ship and then she goes back and tries to stop the detonation sequence and she it's a laborious process as it should be to detonate a gigantic spacecraft yeah um it involves inserting a lot of like carbon rods and like there's a whole bunch of 
flick switch flicks, flicks. <laughs> flick switches and flicks and bras and yeah. switches and shit yeah yeah it, it's a process like you think sending a nuke off is is difficult no 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 blowing up the nostromo is way harder buttons <laughs> and lights and noises yeah, and she's like all like crawling around on the floor because that's where the panels are and yeah. there's like all these tubes coming up and all these things that she has to rotate and stuff, stuff down, down into yeah. the floor and stuff and of course it takes so long that she doesn't do it until <laughs> Of course not. So she passes the barrier where you can't undo it. And so she's like, well, fuck. Now what's, now what's the plan? And it's like, well, I guess I'm going to get on the shuttle and ditch the whole ship. Who cares anymore? There's no one alive anymore. The cat. Yeah. So she get, she's looking for Jonesy. She gets Jonesy. She got on the shuttlecraft. She's like, fuck it. And goes, Ow. Blow up, blow up the whole fucking ship. It's Hopefully good. the thing's on the ship when it goes off. Well, it's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> she gets on the shuttle and then we get... But <laughs> yeah, we get her. We get her butt crack. Uh, I don't. Don't. I guess she's so exhausted that she doesn't care. But also, if I'm the only one on the ship, I'm like, I'll let my butt crack out. I don't even care. Um, but this is the only. Like this is the part that just nev- doesn't make sense to me, because it never comes up again. But the xenomorph just pops up. Like she's like getting some stuff almost to where you think it's a hallucination, uh, and maybe. Maybe that was the point of this, like, why he had it um, so docile. Because the xenomorph is, like, I don't know how, but, like, tucked into a shelf. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, like, it's doing, like, like the reveal. It's blending in, and it kind of, like, touches her, and it's, like, kind of, like, hissing. Kind of like in Blade 2, when they catch the little face sucker, and his arm's caught, and he's just, like, about to die. Yeah. And we know, like, this is how they figure out he's about to die. But the xenomorph is, like, is it about to die like why is it acting like this yeah i i never quite figured this out myself but as a kid i remember like pondering on it a lot like what what is it doing here because it seems like more than likely it can't see her Mm -hmm. or it has other priorities like maybe it's tucked itself in that hidey hole because it plans on cocooning itself Mm -hmm. because remember Mm. this is the only movie in the franchise at this point there is no franchise at this point. Maybe there's another element to its life cycle. Maybe it was about to cocoon. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, hibernate. There's some there's n- there's no rules. So like there's nothing saying that this is the xenomorph as it's intended to be. Maybe it has another step. I'm gonna go with hibernation. Uh, I'm just gonna shoot from the hip. I feel like that was that might have been what he was getting at. Yeah. No, I I wouldn't doubt it. I that would make sense. Yeah. I mean, being as it's food supply or it's like whatever creatures are around for it to eat if it needs to eat are gone yeah so maybe the priority at this point is just well, hibernate until something comes along that's isn't that how they they come across them in aliens is that they're all like it doesn't even look like them they're, they're all just like tucked together and then they wake up and they start to oh i love that shot yeah it's so good the music and every we might get to it tonight yeah, I, we we I, might but might yeah um yeah, that that shot when when the walls come alive is pretty fucking great. And actually, there's a there's a series of games uh, called Dead Space. Have you ever heard of it? I have, I have. Uh, there's I've a played lot. a little bit of one. I think you would like it. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as a game, but like just the concepts and the creature designs and stuff. I but, played a little bit of it. My brother had me play it. And he's like, it's like a horror video game. And he's like, but you have to play it with headphones on. I'm like. Okay, and he's like, "All right, I'm gonna lay down." And <laughs> I don't know if he meant to like lay down and go to like, sleep, but I'm sitting there playing it, and of course with headphones on. So I'm oh, just like, Jesus. "Oh, what's going on? Here? Oh, fuck!" <laughs> it gets real loud, like, real fast. Shh, he's like, shh, 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 calm down. It's just a game. Like, I know, game. but I'm just like, 
I wasn't expecting that. He's, <laughs> like, I, he's like, I told you things are going to pop out. <laughs> well, the thing that, like, the franchise went to shit. Like, yeah. Like, 100%. That's what um, I heard. Uh, the publisher ruined it. But um, anyway, there's there's a little plot point in there where uh, the monsters in Dead Space are undead. Mm-hmm. So they're like reanimated corpses that just mutate and transform into these things called necromorphs. Gotcha. So it's the thing. Gotcha. It's basically the thing except for it's dead. So it's like a zombie thing. Um, and there's a plot point in the third game that's kind of creepy where uh, you come across like a like a derelict facility and it, it answers the question of what happens when these things are left dormant. It's like they, they're undead. They don't die. They just wait for something warm to come along. Gotcha. And just like, like they kind of shake off the dust and just spring to life as soon as something comes by. So it's like, I would not be surprised if like the intention here was like, yeah, well, all the food's gone. So I go guess, like, yeah, go to sleep. I, I, you know what? I'm going to go with that. And I think it makes the most sense. And we should, uh, hit, I don't think he's on Twitter. Somebody asked Ridley Scott what the point of the uh, the hibernation scene is in Alien. Well, I don't even, I, again, I, like my theory when I was a kid was that it couldn't see her. Like there was something about, but that doesn't make sense. I, you know, the jump scare was so powerful at the time. I remember rewatching it. Like, oh, I completely forgot that it popped back up again. Because again, I, I was misremembering the first two movies together as like the two endings. Because she ends the same way. She's getting into the cryo, cryo, cryogenic well, sleep. Regardless of what the intention was, it's a very suspenseful scene because like you said she's in the shuttlecraft i believe the nostromo is blown up at this point um and she's got her cat and she's kind of she's taking off her clothes she's yeah. getting ready to go to sleep um she's getting ready to get in the cryo sleep too yeah. and everything um and then holy shit the, yeah. the thing has been on board with me for a while now yeah but it oh, hasn't wild. it hasn't made a move on me. It's just kind of been hanging out. <laughs> it's like like a really good friend. <laughs> <laughs> like a really good friend that, Guy friend, yeah. that uh, really doesn't want to risk losing a friend. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, she she's been in the room with this thing for quite a while and all of a sudden it, it just makes its presence known probably unintentionally. And then we get this really long 70s edited sequence where she slips into like a spacesuit? Yeah. We have a perfect, I mean, we got a perfect shot of, of her undercarriage. I think, it, I think it made the trailer. <laughs> that made the trailer? I, th- I think I think her butt made the trailer. Like, no, no, no. I'm talking like when she's getting the suit on. Like, we're like right under her crotch. I think it's when she's got her panties and she's like turning around in the suit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that made the trailer. I was like, you can't get, because that's like full bush shots. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, it was behind. I was going to say. And she, she had like, clothing there. Sensors were asleep on that one. Yeah. <laughs> She put on the spacesuit, and uh, it start. This begins the the series tradition yeah. of blowing the alien out of the airlock, sucking it out the airlock. Yeah, it's 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 foolproof. <laughs> it's, it works. I mean, it's the only way to be sure. Suck my airlock, dude. <laughs> you are not making it. And honestly, that's one of probably the my favorite part of Alien Resurrection is the way it's fucking terrifying i don't think that'll ever be topped you can't you cannot top that. <laughs> in, ter- in terms of taking something that on paper it's like this is what's gonna happen and then like realizing it on the screen it's like oh damn this is gonna- <laughs> oh my goodness i mean we'll talk about it when we get to it but like that's like you kill the beast at the same time you feel bad for it because you see it's like 
it's it's uh, a baby. That's what I'm saying. It's like when you and that's go, its mom. When they like kill Godzilla and then the Godzilla's like oh like or you kill a lion and it's like oh I'm just a kid cat like I'm I, I was just doing my thing. It's kind of like that at the end of Alien. Like mom, what are you doing? There's like an, a weird emotional weight to that. I'm like oof. I'm actually excited to talk about that one. It's very French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway. The first airlockening. Yeah, airlockening. Um, uh, she has her spacesuit on. Where's the cat, by the way? <laughs> the cat? I think the cat makes it. No, the, no, no Jonesy's in the second one. So yeah. Jonesy lives, but it's like, Jonesy lives. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think though no, she's in. The, she puts the cat. I think in, in the, the tube. In the okay. tube. So okay. the cat's fine. Okay. Yeah. Go to sleep, Jonesy. I'm but, gonna go fight the alien. <laughs> it's like Jaden Smith and uh, is that his name? Yeah. The kid. That's yeah. Like him in uh, After Earth. Yeah, where he's just watching his sister get fucked up in that room. <laughs> <laughs> like he's just in a glass tube and she's just getting killed as fuck. Yeah. Mm, mm, but yeah, tasty. it's along those lines. The cat's just like. All right. Let's yeah. see what happens here. Jones, Jones, like, I forget what she calls him, but she hates that cat. She's not a big fan. She's like, stupid fucking cat. Stupid <laughs> cat. Well, I mean, you, I get it. Like, I'd want to save the cat, too. Yeah. No, of course. And Jonesy does live to see the sequel. More than Harry Dean Stanton, I think. I'd rather have the cat than Harry Dean Stanton. Man, Jonesy's probably like a 60-year-old cat if you factor in the cryosleep. No, probably. No, probably like 200-year-old cat. It's an old cat. Do they live in dog years? Do they live in dog years, too? I think so. Yeah, sure. Close to it. They got nine I think they live a little longer, but in general, but I don't know. Anyway, they open the airlock. Alien goes out. It kind of puts up a fight against the vacuum of space, which... is impossible. Yeah, not exactly possible, but... Maybe just as a means of like giving her something to do, because yeah. like honestly, like Ripley, people tend to project um, the character of Ripley from the first film onto the second one because mm-hmm. she was a work in progress. Yeah, like she, yeah, she's a tough lady in the first one. Yeah, she's not queen bitch lady <laughs> until the second one. I don't blame her. Yeah. So in this one, in the first Alien movie, aside from. Kind of getting her ass whipped by Ian Holm. Yafit Koto does most of the work in that fight. Yeah, he could do the most work. He, he can swing a thermos. He can swing. <laughs> um, aside from that, she doesn't really have too many like action hero moments in the first film. But they give her something to do yeah. uh, when it's kind of fighting its way back into the ship. She has this little like Batman grappling hook thing. Oh yeah, that she shoots it in the chest with, and that's like the final straw. Yeah. That's what gets it out. So it's like, oh well. You know, she did something. Yeah. <laughs> she, really, all she did was hit a button. But it, she's a clever lady. <laughs> it's very, clever. very clever. Uh, very clever plan to come up with on the fly when there's a giant hulking beast in the room with you. Correct. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I feel like we don't need to like. We recommend, I think, almost every movie we do, except for maybe two or three, and that is just because we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. Or your brother had us watch it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dark, dark backward. backward. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm so glad we watched that. Yeah, though. no offense, Matt. I was just saying, like, that's not what I recommend to people. Like, oh, you want to fuck up your evening? Watch the dark backward. <laughs> you want to fuck up your evening? Watch Seven for the first time. Ah. ah. Or, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, super strong recommend. I mean, it's a, it's a classic. Yeah. Like, the, it's, so many things have imitated it. It's... What's kind of amazing about it is it's all in the subtleties mm-hmm. because it's been said before that structurally this film is a B movie. 
it's just a haunted house movie in space. Yeah. Um, there's not a whole lot fancy about the structure of the film. It's just all the subtle details there, like the, the life cycle of the creature and the set designs and the music. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith composed the music for this movie. You ever, ever heard of him? <laughs> kind of a big fucking deal. He's kind of dead, unfortunately. But yeah. holy shit, he's done some great scores. In fact, uh, Leviathan. Leviathan was decent score. Uh, Deep Rising. Uh, Deep Rising was an excellent score. <laughs> Leviathan has got two really big names attached to it, and decent is the best word you can use to describe their contributions. Decent is that whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> All around. I thoroughly enjoyed it the second time I watched it. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to seeing it for like the 50th time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the the theme music for this movie, it's, it's I mean, you'd know it when you hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been reprised in various movies in the series. I think it's in the second one, and I think it's in uh, Covenant. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I forgot to mention at the top, this is one of my favorite openings in a movie ever. It's very cold. It's cold. It's very quiet, and the title. The just Yeah, the way the title comes in, it's just, you can barely see the ship. It's just, yeah, I, I fucking and love it. And the letters slowly yeah. form. It's very classy. It's one very of, classy. One of my favorite movie openings ever. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, from top to bottom, this is a gorgeous piece of cinema it's just so lovely to look at audio visuals are great mm-hmm. what's kind of funny about it actually is um mentioning jerry goldsmith <laughs> um the uh the way the score interacts with the film is maybe maybe the strongest indication of when it was made because mm. uh, the score is uh, present in times when i think in later films in the franchise it would be drawn back a little bit because like when Yafet Koto is getting assaulted by the alien, if I remember right, the orchestra's kind of flipping the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like in a more modern entry in the franchise, maybe it would be scaled back. Although not in the case with Covenant, where the the music, while very good in Covenant, is ever present. Yeah. <laughs> it just will not shut the fuck up. Well, especially <laughs> during our favorite sequence, where it's just it's, boom, a, boom, boom, it's boom. a yeah it's used to great effect, but it's just an interesting use of music where it's like very clearly a full orchestra and it's like yeah. <laughs> so this is a different style. It's a very different style. Yeah. It's more classic cinema, I guess. Yeah. Um. I don't know if I have too much else to say about that. If you well you haven't seen this rankings, yeah. Kyle. We got. I mean, we got to attempt to rank. I don't think we followed through with that on the predator movies we kind of gave up halfway through if i recall but mm. let's, let's try well do we want to start it now or do we want to wait till the uh, wait. wait wait till the end but i mean the the key question is always this one or, one or two one or two yeah. i'm gonna say one uh because i i do like james cameron i like ridley scott much more i like most of the movies i've seen of his um like i said he the setting a tone building a world and and his and his like the ability to like can have you completely forget about significant plot holes in the movie like that's hard to do like we're just going back now and like where did the architects come from or when the, where did the engineers come from where did the eggs come from not even questions that you that come up when you're watching this movie it does not matter it's a very focused film it's a very focused film and uh, character development casting uh just the story arc itself it's just all around well it's all there but it's a it's a case of a movie only doing what it feels equipped to do, mm. which is admirable. That's like that's like what Hemingway, where it's like use as few words as possible. Yeah. Where it's just like you don't need all that fluff. This isn't a podcast about books. Don't get me started. No, on that. <laughs> no, but, but the point is, yeah. it's 
the reason why those questions aren't addressed is because it's not relevant to the characters or the story. No. It's like, this is a story told from the perspective of blue-collar workers in space. They know what you know. And they don't need... We don't need any extra fluff. Um, whereas Aliens is an excuse to kind of blow things open a little bit and focus on the character aspect of it. Like, really add a lot more dimension to these people than we've gotten in maybe any other entry in the series, to be honest. I was going to say... And- in addition to, I don't think there was any movie we talked about. I don't think there's any movies like this up to this point. Like there was nothing like this at the time. That's and, that's always what my parents told. Yeah, like if you're out there, hit us up on on Instagram. <laughs> like let me, let let me know. Like, am I wrong? Are there movies similar to this, or at least that? I mean, there of- there were movies with this level of intensity for sure, and this level of like grit, like like The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby and stuff. Yeah. We had that by by this time, but just not in this kind of package yeah like this is kind of a thing of its own yeah it's own, its own organism <laughs> um i was gonna say i watch this i think once a year easily yeah i mean it seems like as as long as i've known you you've, you've brought it up so <laughs> many times it. yeah it's like you're always telling me i'm about to watch it it's like god damn kyle do you do anything else <laughs> i do i do <laughs> but I, me personally i think i put two above one very that's most people who are who adore this franchise that's the one i've heard the most yeah i mean we all have we all bring our own baggage into any product that we take <laughs> in and i i have got mine you've got yours and you know different strokes for different folks all that business um but yeah i think that's about all i got to say about the first movie yeah i think we're probably going to roll in here to the second one you were not going to hear it till next week though <laughs> all right uh until next week thanks yeah. so much for listening